Let's uh, turn in God's Word now to Matthew's Gospel and chapter 8. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8. We're here reading the last verses of chapter 8, verses 28 through 34. Matthew 8, verses 28 through 34. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8, and verse 28. Before we read God's Word, let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Gracious Father, once again we've come to You thanking You that You have not removed Your Word from us as You have before to Your covenant people who have rebelled against You. You have not done that with us. We're thankful, even though we do rebel against You every day. We're thankful that You are a merciful God and a gracious God to speak to us still. And so grant us now Your Word, humble our hearts before You, that we would receive Your Word and believe what we hear and seek to obey it and teach it to others. And Father, we pray also that You would humble Your servant who who preaches as a mere ambassador, as one who comes with a message from You, the King, We pray that You would grant all of us to have ears to hear You and not any man. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. These are God's words. And when He was come to the other side, into the country of Gergesenes, there met Him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And there was a good way off from them, and heard of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. And they that kept them fled and went their ways into the city and told everything and what was befallen to the possessed of the devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw Him, they besought Him that He would depart out of their coasts. Those are God's words. We have seen thus far in chapter 8, Matthew's Gospel chapter 8, and going before that, Jesus' power and His authority to proclaim His Word, to proclaim the glorious majesty of God. We have heard in His power, His great power and authority uh, over diseases and fevers and sicknesses as He healed many. We have seen His power and authority over creation. Last Lord's Day, even that the winds and the seas obey Him. And now in the passage before us, we're getting a glimpse more into Jesus' power and authority over 
the powers of darkness. Right, we are getting everyone a, a step closer and closer to seeing more clearly that all these miracles are designed to show us that Jesus Christ is the only one who delivers people ultimately from their sin and the effects of their sin in every respect. The first point this morning is the misery of sin. The misery of sin. You see verse 28, it says, And when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. Now, most people of this world are evil. They're sinful. They're in their sins and they, their lives they live are in their sins. It's full of sins. And yet their sinfulness is actually largely concealed from us, uh, from each other, right? Not fully concealed. Their, their true nature, their wretchedness, the effects of their sin for the most part of their lives is concealed. It's children, it's, it's hidden. Not fully, again, but largely. And yet here and there, the true misery of sin is more drastically unveiled for all to see. And that's what we see in the passage before us. These two men, humans, just like all of us, these two men were possessed of devils or demons. And so now you must think, you must know with certainty that there is such a thing as the devil, Satan. The great serpent from Genesis 3. The one who poses as an angel of light to deceive. The great dragon, Revelation uh, chapter 11 or 12, I forget which one. The great dragon. This is an awful truth, friends. But it's a truth nonetheless that Satan, the devil, is real. There is near us an unseen spirit and many of his followers. And he is of mighty power. Not almighty power because he's a creature. He's created. He is finite, not like God who's infinite. He is uh, not eternal like God. And he is not unchangeable. He changes all the time to deceive you. And we'll see that here in this passage. But He is mighty in power. He is full of malice against our souls. That's all He has. Malice against our souls. From the beginning of creation, He has labored to injure and destroy and annihilate men and women and children. In this life, in your life, He will never cease seeking to tempt you and cause you to fall. He is working, even now, as we heard in the Scripture previously, to capture one of you covenant people of God. He says in Peter, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And he speaks that, Peter says that, to the church to warn them of the devil who is trying to take them. And we go back to Job 1. We see there that he cannot harm the souls of God's children. But the Lord may 
By eternal decree and divine permission, grant to Satan times of attacks upon you for the trial of your faith. And here in our passage, two men who were not faithful to the Lord. We know that. We're going to hear why in a little bit. But two men who were not faithful to the Lord or in union with Jesus Christ. The Lord has granted the devil in the using of his demons in particular or devils. Uh, a particular, a peculiar power over the bodies of certain men and certain women, as well as over their souls. Not those who have turned to the Lord in faith, because they have the Holy Spirit. We're going to hear about that in a little bit. But those who were in their sins and had as their father the devil. Even in our own times. Today, friends, there may be more of this bodily possession that some would suppose more of this bodily possession than some would suppose there there is. Even categorized uh, perhaps as a psychological disorder. You understand the spiritual beings, fallen angels, had come into two real men. And these men so possessed were, it says in verse 28, were exceeding fierce. The demons possessing them made them wild toward others and yet also harmful to themselves. And in Mark's account, not in Matthew, but in Mark's account of this, one of these uh, men who were possessed of these, uh, these demons was cutting themselves with stones. And so destructive even to themselves and their flesh. You see, those actions that sadly often young ladies today take because they're ashamed of their body image or the value as uh, one of God's creatures and they cut themselves and even unto suicide. At least one of these men were cutting themselves. You see, the servants of the devil, just like Satan himself, they love destruction. They love destruction. They love when men and women and children are destroyed in their soul and in their body. And this then is glaring, a glaring and extreme example of the miseries of this life that we have on account of sin. Man is liable to all the miseries of this life, right children? All the miseries of this life. What else? To, the, to death itself and to the pains of hell forever. That's what man is liable to in the miseries of this life because of our sin. In our passage, very startling and graphically, there is set before us what the miseries of this life can be and can actually entail. Even under the possession of these devils or demons. These men were driven from society. From the people. Driving people away from them. As well, they were driven themselves as by, the, by these devils to the tombs. They embitter them with rage and fierce anger. And so that they are against all peoples that come up to them. So even so that no one could pass by in that area or travel through. For most in this life, the miseries are largely covered over or veiled to others. And yet this shows... Us, what the miseries of this life can entail in our passage. And do entail as the veil, as it were, were taken away. This is your soul 
and your heart and your life in your sins. This is what your sin does. It drives people from you. It keeps you from others. It causes you to be a terror upon many that people don't even want to be around you. But this is what you're doing in all of your thoughts, words, and actions. You are just like these men are having the effect happen to them. They are destroying themselves. And that's what we do with our every sinful thought, every sinful word, every sinful action. We are destroying ourselves. Now it is self-evident to Christians, true Christians, that the misery of this life always falls short of the miseries of the pains of hell forever. Of course, that what happens in the present for just a couple decades pales in comparison to the pains of hell forever. They fall short of the full wages of sin. So that even these men were suffering less than the full weight of the wages of sin, which is death forever. If you can try to wrap your head around that, how these men possessed of devils were suffering less misery than the full misery of the wages of sin. If the miseries of this present life can be so dreadful, how much more dreadful much must the, uh, that eternal misery under the wrath of God be to which all sinners, unsaved sinners, are destined, who are not turning, who don't turn to Jesus Christ in faith. And that presses upon us the absolute importance, the priority to make the one thing needful to us to be assured of a saving interest in the Lord Jesus Christ. That every one of us, when we see what the pains of sin can entail in this world, should be startled to think that all this is but a foretaste of the miseries of the world to come. For those who are not delivered by the Lord Jesus Christ from their sins. Therefore, what should we do? We should make every effort. We should make it our all-consuming concern to make sure that we have good reason, good ground for regarding ourselves as forgiven through Jesus Christ who bore our sin, the sins of many, right? And so he says, make sure to... Make your calling an election sure. So consider the misery of sin and the eternal effects and consequences. The second thing, the good doctrine of devils. The good doctrine of devils. It may strike you, but these devils know a lot of truth. And they declare the truth as well. But not because they want to acknowledge or desire to make it known because they don't love the truth. They don't want to make the truth known, but here they have to declare it. For they stand before Jesus Christ. They hate the truth, but they do know truth that it is true. Imagine knowing the truth, hating the truth, and not wanting to submit to it. Friends, that describes every child of the devil. That describes every person in this world, as Romans 1 teaches us at the end, they know the truth, but they still rebel against it. They suppress the knowledge. 
and they still rebel. And you see it publicized throughout the world today and in our nation very much so. You look at the text here. Notice the devil's doctrine of Christ. What is the doctrine of Christ that the devil has? And therefore his followers. Verse 29. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? Jesus, thou Son of God. These devils knew that Jesus was the Son of God. They knew it to be true, in which the Jews that we've been looking at, the Jews at that time denied. And which today the liberal theologians and increasingly more in broad evangelicalism, broad, the broad church throughout this nation, they deny. The liberal theologians deny that Jesus is the Son of God. In 1 Timothy 4, it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Those doctrines of devils are those doctrines that devils seek to promote. Not necessarily doctrine that devils know to be true, or believe to be true. Their promotion of falsehood is not due to some uh, sincere mistake, but it is a deliberate promotion of lies. The falsehood that they like to promote among men is the exact opposite of that truth that they know to be true. Even that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Remember that the devil is the father of lies. And here these devils know that that Jesus is the Son of God. And they cannot wait to go out and seek to convince many that Jesus is not the Son of God. They also know that there is no common ground between them and Jesus. Also, verse 29. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Literally saying, what between we and thee? What common ground is there between us? What common interest is there? There's no, there's no common ground. There's no common purpose. There's no common desire. They knew that there was nothing of their wickedness in Jesus. Who was completely without wickedness. Even though men accused him, even though men accused Jesus later of casting out devils by the prince of devils, these devils know that was false. That this was the Holy One of God and the devil had nothing in common with him. Nothing in him. But that Jesus was pure and holy and righteous without sin. There was nothing common between Christ and these devils. They also know the truth of the certainty of judgment. They know the truth of the certainty of judgment. The end of verse 29. 
Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? They knew that the time of judgment was not yet come. They knew the truth that there is a judgment. They knew that the judgment was coming. They knew they would be judged for eternity. And so they're asking, Jesus, it's not the time yet for the judgment for you to judge us. So why are you here? They knew they would have to stand and face Jesus, the Son of God, in the judgment. And so why is Jesus there? Why why is He here, they ask. And James 2 says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Here they are trembling. Is this, this is not the judgment, so why are you here? They know it's true. They're looking at Jesus and they know full well, this is the one who, not now, but at the right time, later in the future, this one will judge and torment us forever. But not now. So why is He here before us? And so they acknowledge the certainty of the judgment. They also acknowledge His power over them. Verse 30. His power over them. And there was a good way off from them and heard of many swine feeding. So the devils besought Him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And He said unto them, Go. So they implored, they pleaded with Jesus because they know they are, just like in Job 1, Satan coming to attack Job, he goes to God first, asks uh, that this would be granted to him. Here they implored, they pleaded with Jesus because they know they're dependent upon him. Uh, they, they need his permission to do anything. If only all Christians knew who was ultimately in charge of governing all things as these devils knew. That it's Jesus Christ. And the devil seeks to, of course, veil that truth and twist that truth and doubting, uh, even for doubting Christians to be tempted to believe that God, that Jesus, who is God, that He is not fully in control, that He's not sovereign over all things, that He's not sitting on the throne as King forever. As of God... And Satan fighting it out, and the outcome is not absolutely certain, as we might think it is. As if there's a battle between the two unequal parties, and God being slightly more powerful than Satan will eventually win. But that's completely false. Exactly. The devils. That's all they want you to know. Lies. Being deceived. That's what Satan wants you to believe, that God is not all and completely sovereign over all things. Now, Jesus is not completely in control. That Satan is only slightly less powerful. That's all false. And that's exactly what Satan wants you to believe. Those things that are lies. But Jesus is the mediatorial king, the priest king, Messiah the prince, Right, who sits on the throne, he reigns over all as the executor, administrator of providence. What happens? And none, not even devils, can act without his permission. So that's why they're asking him here. 
Same thing we see in Job. That all things have been determined by the Lord according to His eternal decrees and He brings them all to pass for His glory and for your good, the good of the church. That's Ephesians 1, 20 and 21. He has declared whatsoever comes to pass. Again, Job, Satan asking their permission of Jehovah to strike Job. Paul speaking in 2 Corinthians of a messenger of Satan to buffet him, but he did what? He sought the Lord to reprove him, to reprove Satan, the devil. Why? Because it's the Lord who has complete authority and power over all things, even the devil. Over all His creation, even the devil, who's a creature. So Saul, think of Saul in 1 Samuel. Saul was afflicted with an evil spirit from the Lord. The devils here have a complete acknowledgement of Christ's power. And they hate His authority. They hate His power. They hate Him. They detest the fact that He is sovereign over them, and yet they have no choice but to acknowledge the truth of it before Him. Because they have to seek His permission to do anything. They know power belongs unto the Lord. They know that everyone will know in the end. The redeemed, the people of God know it. And acknowledge it, but not perfectly as they ought. But they know and rejoice in it. And the very proof, as we learn, the very proof that every Christian believes in the complete sovereignty of God is that they pray. They pray. If He's not sovereign, why pray? If He's not in control of all things, why pray? But He is. And so we ought to pray all the more. Why evangelize? Because He's sovereign. And He has called people, His people, the elect, and they'll be brought in. Why do we evangelize? Because we know for certain God will save sinners. He's promised us. And He knows exactly who. And He's predestined them on the salvation and adoption. At the last day, ungodly men, unsaved, unsaved sinners, they will know... All the suppressing and the fog of Romans 1 that we hear about in Romans 1, that will be gone. They will know with very clear thinking. When the Son of Man appears in great glory with great power, these devils already knew here and have always known since the beginning of their existence when they were created. Are they eternal? Are devils eternal? No, they are not eternal. Not any more eternal than we are. They don't have an eternal future, eternal past like God. But they do have an eternal future like we do. But they are not, in that way, they're not as God, eternal. They are created. And these devils acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God. That they do not have common ground. They know for certainty that there is a judgment. That He has complete power over them and so much more. They know and they have good doctrine. But the question then we must ask, because you might have good doctrine too, is your orthodoxy, your faith, your doctrine, which may be good, is it nothing more than that of devils? 
Or have you received a love of the truth as well? Have you received a love for the one who is true? Jehovah in Christ. It's one thing to know and acknowledge the truth as truth. It's another completely other thing to love the truth. And to love the Lord who is truth. Every truth these devils acknowledged. They believed was true. And they hated it. They hated those truths. They hate those truths. And so do you only admit the truth? Believe the truth as in it is true. Do you only admit the truth, but from your heart you desire it not to be true? There are some doctrines in Scripture which we struggle with. Mostly around judgment and things like that. For Christians. And even our loved ones, children, they'll be judged who don't believe. Do you love that truth? And so maybe you admit the truth, you get some proud as well satisfaction in your mind because I know this truth and these people over here, they don't know this truth. They don't believe this truth, but I know it's from the Scriptures, it's right there. I know it. And others don't. And so that biblical truth you know, which is supposed to be all unto the glory of God. And do you take it and glorify yourself in it in your pride? Do you rejoice not in the truth, but are you rejoicing in your ability to handle the truth? Or do you love the truth, glad that Jesus is the Son of God? That He is the Savior of sinners. That He is sovereign over all. That He will judge the world, both men and angels. Do you love Him? And do you love that about Him? The third point this morning. Mercy and grace not offered to devils. Mercy and grace not offered to devils. Verse 31. And so the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. Why did they say that? Why did they suggest that? To go into the swine? doesn't say why. So we don't know. But this we know. It was the will of God. It was eternally decreed that they would ask this, that Christ would permit it in verse 32, go. And so that the result of verse 34 that we'll look at soon would occur. The whole city would come unto Him. Christ said what? Verse 32. And He said unto them, go. Jesus told them to go. They aimed at wickedness, that's for sure. They wanted to continue to... Possess these men in Jesus Christ. Being there, they, they had to flee away. But there's a holy reason. A righteous, God-glorifying reason for Christ to command them to go into the swine. Even though the devils had a wicked plan and purpose for going into the swine. God and Jesus Christ has a perfect, holy, righteous reason for them to go into the swine. That's why He commanded them, go. It was not 
Compassion toward the devils. Jesus is not moved to compassion or mercy toward demons or devils. But here is a demonstration of His complete authority and power over bodies and over souls. Over all creation, even of the swine. And over the devils, the demons. So He sent the devils into the swine. But this was not mercy to the devils. But it was mercy and grace to those two men who were so possessed at the time. God's mercy and grace is towards sinful men and women and children. Not sinful demons and angels. You have to ask the question, as God created all angels, as a company of angels, and that we know that some fell and they... And the rest did not. That some are wicked and some are not. We know from Scripture there are some elect angels and those that fell who rebelled against the Lord are not elect angels. Those fallen angels, there is no gospel for them. There is no mercy to be shown to them. There is no grace offered to them. There is no salvation for fallen angels. But the Lord deals differently with man. Praise God. There was an original pair of which Adam was the federal, the covenant head of the whole human race who descends from him by ordinary generation. When Adam sinned, Romans 5, all sinned. And so we have original sin. And by the offense of the one, many were made sinners. And so the whole mankind is fallen. Again, that's Romans 5. But God's sovereignty toward men is displayed... In that He has chosen some out of fallen mankind to be heirs of salvation, to show His eternal love upon The Lord Jesus came to redeem these fallen men and women. And that's why Hebrews says that Jesus took on a human nature and not an angelic nature. Hebrews 2, For verily He took not on Him, the nature of angels, but He took on Him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved Him to be made like unto His brethren, that He might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. He came into the world to save sinners, not fallen and sinful angels. That is not demons or devils. They are reserved. As the Scriptures say, they are reserved in the chains of darkness under the judgment of the great day. But He came to save sinful men. But God wasn't forced to save sinful men. Just as He does not save sinful angels. And will not save sinful angels. But the Lord by His grace, according to His eternal plan, desired to save sinners out of His eternal love. And He does save sinners and all such sinners as come to Christ by faith. Who believe not just that the truth that He died on the cross, yeah, He did that, but that they trust in that death on the cross for their very life. Because without that death on the cross, they're dead for all eternity. There's a gospel sent to sinful men. And this Savior Jesus Christ caused these devils to bring these men to Him. Verse 28, And when He was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, there met Him two possessed with devils. They came to Him, coming out of the tombs. They came out to Him. 
these devils to bring these men to Him. And so when Christ went, the devils brought them, the men, to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is the sovereignty of Christ in saving these men. The Gospel sent friends to the most wretched of men, even these two men. Does demon possession exist today? Absolutely it does. What if someone was demon-possessed? What did they need? They need the truth. Right? They need the truth as it is in Jesus. Not some drug. Not some medicine. Not some formula of some supposed false exorcism like we see in Roman uh, Roman Catholicism. That's false. They need the truth. For it's the truth alone that sets anyone free from the power and bondage of the devil. It's always been that way, right? It's the truth that sets people free from bondage. The Gospel sets people free from bondage. That's what they need. It's under the sound of the Gospel that the Holy Spirit renews the hearts of sinners. And when a sinner is renewed by the Spirit of God, he is indwelt by the Spirit of God. And he can no longer be demon-possessed. And so we know these two men here, they are demon-possessed. They are not... In Christ, they don't have the Spirit in their hearts. But all those who do have the Spirit are indwelled by the Spirit of Christ and can no longer be demon-possessed. True believers cannot be possessed with devils because the Spirit dwells there. And the devil cannot remove or kick out the Spirit from us. The Spirit cannot be removed. He does not what? He does not leave us nor forsake us. He is always with us. It is through the preaching of the gospel to sinful men that God saves sinners. All kinds of sinners. Even demon-possessed sinners. Including the most wretched. Because, how can this happen? Because Christ reigns in all power. Even over devils. The glorious grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is that He saves sinful men and sinful women and sinful children. The great truth is that the Lord Jesus is man's great deliverer from the power of the devil. And not even the gates of hell can prevail against the church which proclaims the gospel. And the good news, because Christ comes by His Spirit and snatches them out of hell, as we prayed, those sinful, wretched ones from the grip of their father, the devil, and He makes them children of the King. Praise God for that. He redeems us, friends, not only from all iniquity, but so too from this present evil world, or present evil age, and also from the devil. Consider Acts 10. It says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with Him. He heals all oppressed of the devil. Jesus does. And so your great remedy in all the assaults of the devil is to cry out to the Lord Jesus for help and prayer. For He alone breaks the chains of Satan and sets us free. And the fourth and final point this morning, the people's hardness of heart. The people's hardness of heart, verse 32. Uh, the devils asked that they could go down into the swine. And He said unto them, Go! 
And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. And they that kept them fled and went their ways into the city and told everything and what was befallen to the possessed of the devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coasts. And so the devils are cast into the swine, causing men to be set free. Again, praise God. The devils made the swine, by the permission of Jesus, to run down into the sea and drown. Those who owned the swine, they fled to the city. They told everyone what Jesus did to their swine and what He did with the two men. Delivering them and setting them free from the demons. Verse 34, again, And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw Him, they besought Him that He would depart out of their coast. They pleaded with Him to leave. They did not command Him because they knew His power and authority, but they pleaded with Him to get rid of Him. Why would they want to get rid of the Savior, the Son of God? Why weren't they rejoicing in these men who who they were frightened of have now been set free? They couldn't even get near the tombs. They couldn't go to the graves of their ancestors. They couldn't travel through that area. And the men possessed of devils, one was even cutting themselves. Scary sight. They were set free. Isn't that good news? But, but, But the swine... They lost all the swine, a whole herd of them. Their determination, their decision. Jesus has destroyed all the swine, much great property. By sending the demons into them, we can't have Him here. What's going to become of our property and our things? Forget about His grace and His power and authority and mercy. We don't want Him here. We don't want that sort of thing around here. They cared about their loss. And they couldn't rejoice in God's grace. They had no heart of compassion for their fellow men who were set free. Same with children in the womb who are being murdered and, and the older people who are being um, put to death, like committing suicide, euthanasia. We have no care for our common man. Christians, do you have care for your common men who are in their sins? Who continue in their sins? Who continue in wickedness? Do you have any care for them? Or compassion? These people, all they could feel in their hearts was the loss of swine, pigs, children. That's what swine are, pigs. Gross animals that are pretty brilliant and yet really dirty. They cared more about them than human beings. They care more about their property than two immortal souls who were freed from Satan's bondage. They cared not for the one who stood there among them greater than the devil, the very Son of God, Jesus. They cared for nothing but that swine that were drowned, and the hope of all their gains was gone. Acts chapter 16, where it says that, And when they heard, 
masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas, right? Because Paul and Silas were preaching the gospel and it was causing the, the idol makers to be... Uh, nobody was buying the idols anymore. Because the gospel was going forth. Praise God. And well, now their hope of their gains was gone. They caught Paul and Silas and they drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrates saying, These men being Jews do exceedingly trouble in our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates rent off their clothes and tore their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison. They ignorantly, friends, regarded Jesus as the one who stood between them and their profits, their money, their wealth, and they only desired to get rid of Him. And Christ did go. But Luke says, and we can praise God for this, Luke says He didn't leave without witness. In Luke 8 it says, Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought Him, that is, the the man who was demon-possessed and cutting himself, departed, besought him that he might be with him. He wanted to follow Jesus. Praise God. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to thine own house, and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city. That is the man who was set free. Published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. He left a testimony there for them. My friends, beware of being anything like those in the region, with, in this region, with their hard hearts, wanting only their profit, of their property, and denying, but denying the Lord. In the world, we might say, some in the church, maybe many in the church, at least some in the church, there are all, there are all too many like these people, from the region and country of Gergesenes. There are so many who care not one jot or little tittle for Jesus Christ. They don't care about what Satan is doing as long as they can make a little money and have a little more of the good things of this world. But from that, may we all be set free. Just like we're learning in Ecclesiastes about wealth is vanity without Christ. What these people here were doing was vanity because it was without Christ. They didn't want Christ at all. This is what we need to be set free from. And rather turning to Christ, desiring to follow Him like this man who was set free. He wanted to be set free. He wanted to uh, follow Him. And rather in turning to Christ, following Him, Christ led him to be a testimony to proclaim the Gospel. To the whole city. He set this man free. You can be set free from your sins as well today. Would you rather be left alone? When you come here, would you rather not be troubled by the word and message from Jesus through His word, the truth? Would you rather come and not hear this Christ because you see no beauty in Him? You can speak all day about the sinfulness of man and Christ's ability to save sinners, but the fact that you need saving from your sins, you'd rather not hear about that. That's why often in the church, thankfully not this congregation, but in other churches, and you preach the gospel and people come up to you and why are you preaching the gospel? We already believe that. 
They don't want to hear of Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners. You'd rather be left alone. Perhaps you're like that. Beware of a heart that wants that. That wants to be left alone by Christ and His truth, lest the Lord should give it to you. Because He does that here. And He departs away from you, never speaking to you a word again. Jesus delivered these men to the praise, the two possessed men, delivered them to the praise of His glory, of the greatness of His grace and mercy. And the true people of God rejoice in the grace of God. Not only in themselves, when it, when it works in themselves, but when they see it in others, they rejoice. Those who are saved by God's grace rejoice in that grace. So that when they see it manifested in the most wretched of men or women or, or even a child, glory in the Lord of it by His sovereign grace. They glory in the Lord of sovereign grace. One day you will die, and after that the judgment. We also learn that here. So come now, by faith that your souls will be saved in that day, that you would have life and be set free from all your sins, from all your evils, unto the Lord and Jesus Christ. Because turning to Christ, the Son of God, there only do you find one who is full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful for Your Word. We're thankful that You call us to believe on You and trust You with all of our hearts and bow the knee and submit unto You. We pray that we would not know the truth and yet hate it, but that we would love the truth, that we would love You, and that You would set Your people free from all our bondage and sin. Father, we pray that You will pour forth Your Holy Spirit, show mercy and grace to Your people, and do Your great works and great power and authority, that Your name would be praised. And when we see Your grace at work, we pray that we would rejoice, even when we see it in our very enemies. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.